Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to week one. Let's go. Week zero was fantastic, but week one is just so much better. Week one, college football. We got Thursday night, Friday night, the whole day, Saturday. Sunday, we got like an 11 a.m. kickoff, a midday, you know, a little snack. And then we got LSU Florida State Sunday night. And then Monday night, we got Clemson Duke, I believe. That does not stink. Gentlemen, great to see you guys. I am Scott Russo. I've got college football expert Zach Barnett. Johnny Bryce, Doug Samuels, uh, Manning, the earphones. It's good luck, Doug. It's good luck. Great to see you guys. John Bryce, let me start with you. You went to Dublin, Ireland for Notre Dame Navy. Give me uh, give me a short version of that trip. Yeah, uh, great trip. The people were so unbelievably nice. Uh, so, so much nicer than the customs uh, agents and Border Patrol that I encountered in Chicago yesterday. Um but that's an election day podcast and not one for right now. So uh, the people of Dublin and Ireland at large could not have been grander hosts. Uh, it was a really cool time. Uh, it was a phenomenal atmosphere from from the military flyover beforehand with the V-22 uh, Osprey choppers that had been uh, brought over by the U.S. Navy. Uh, the Scottish National Anthem was remarkably or excuse me, the Irish national anthem was remarkably powerful inside the venue. Uh, it was great. It was just a spectacular atmosphere. And kind of like I alluded to last week, I think Notre Dame's pretty darn good. I think they might be a little undervalued as the number 13 team in college football right now. Uh, and I think Sam Hartman provided a glimpse of that over the weekend. Notre Dame's ceiling right now because of Sam Hartman, I would contend, is as large as it's been probably in a decade or longer. Um, I, I think Notre Dame has the potential to be a top-end team, and they showed that on Saturday night, really suffocating uh, Navy. And there was a Navy team that, that did a couple of things early and certainly shot itself in the foot. Um, a solid debut in some regards for Brian Newberry's squad, but um, Notre Dame is really, really good. Notre Dame more in control beginning to end than USC was. Um, a nice opening victory for Vanderbilt as, as we just sort of start – to outline some of the topics we'll hit. And I thought Hawaii showed some, some really nice fight. JV, what would you say uh, – quick question. What would you say the the uh, fan split was between Notre Dame people, Navy people, and the locals? Well, the locals were uh, remarkably all in on the Irish. Um, that was evident by the first time our taxi driver picked us up at, at Dublin Airport last Wednesday morning or whenever it was. Time runs together now. Um, I would I would contend – um, there were 49,000 people announced as sold out crowd. I would say 45,000 were Notre Dame fans. So hmm. I was going to say a question about, it. you know, uh, Notre Dame travels well. Does Navy travel? Yeah. Navy, Navy had a, a good representation. And, and here's the other thing. And I've encountered this in South Bend before at Notre Dame Navy games. There are so many Navy people and Navy loyalists who actually will switch allegiances for that one day of the year and cheer for Notre Dame. And I talked with a gentleman uh, in, in our hotel lobby as we were headed to the airport at 2.15 a.m. on Saturday, Sunday morning, uh, after I'd finished up some work there in the stadium. And he was a Navy guy. He had served. I was thanking him for his service and talking about my grand, both of my grandfathers serving in the Navy and the Marines. And he said, I'm Navy, except one day a year. This is that day. I'm going to come up to South Bend either next week for the uh, Tennessee State game or the USC game. He lives in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, but they're, they're, he's not the first person I've encountered like that. There's a close kinship between Navy and Notre Dame because Navy uh, quite literally saved Notre Dame from 
having its doors shut back during World War II. And so there's a special kinship there. That's why the, the rivalry is played today. I want you guys to know I'm very proud of myself. I feel like I've matured. Several times I was I fully typed out the tweet and was gonna push send and I just stopped. For example, Notre Dame's up seven zero. Navy drives the length of the field. They run the ball every play, every play, every play. It's third and like six. The announcers rightfully say it's four down territory. Let's run it. Let's pick up three or four, and then let's run it again, get the first down. It's like fourth and two, fourth and three, right-handed quarterback, and they roll left and throw the ball. And honestly, the guy had a chance to catch it. It wasn't a great throw. It kind of hung. Two guys could have caught it. But you roll left. He's under pressure. He's got to reach back and throw this way. It looks horrible. It almost worked. But why do you call that play ball? I matured. I did not send that tweet, but here I am talking about the pod. I still have room to grow, man. <laughs> I, I remember that play you're talking about, and it was seemed pretty poor route design to have uh, two receivers in the same area where they kind of uh, battled each other for the ball. Uh, you know, generally the Navy offense, you're you're only sending two receivers out on a given pass play, anyways. And so to to have that poor route construction, I, I remember that play you're talking about, and struck me as odd as well. I will, I will say after the game, uh, Coach Newberry was asked specifically about that instance and said that it was a bust. And I believe it was Notre Dame's Jack Kaiser uh, who played a heck of a game in sort of a hybrid linebacker safety role, maybe led the team in tackles. I think he was the one who got pressure on the quarterback on that play. But it was a shot play that was open for Navy, uh, particularly if the quarterback has maybe a split second more time and the receivers aren't battling each other for real estate. There were a couple of other plays in the game. Um, I said it going into the game. Doug knows it better than any of us. He's an actual coach. Uh, but I felt it would be the ideal contest for Notre Dame because I thought Notre Dame would win comfortably and still have a heck of a lot to point to to teach on the tape. There are three, four, five defensive plays in a hurry I can think of that are automatic teach tape moments, in my opinion. All right, a couple other games are going on. Um that day let's think through a couple of these things usc offense looked pretty good usc's defense did not i I don't know what else there is to say about that one no yeah how are you not sounding warning signs if you're usc unless you expected them to be uh pillow soft up front defensively as well like uh, one thing i you know reading around the internet that said slipped my mind from last year but the usc's turnover margin last year was like historically good and that's more than likely going to regress to the mean. And so you'd think you could make up with that with uh, improved defensive play, and uh, I wouldn't count on it. No, they did not look good schematically. It didn't seem to make sense, some of the things they were they were doing. Just, like, you got USC guys, just let them play defense. Don't, don't go exotics and stuff like that. Just play defense. Uh, I think they got run on all over the place, almost 200 yards rushing against them, which is not great. And with the big ten, big ten on the horizon, you gotta you gotta get that stuff kind of sorted out. Yeah, I mean, I I think this was a twenty one fourteen game at halftime, guys. I mean, that to me will stand as probably certainly the most shocking halftime score of the entire weekend. Uh, but I think a twenty one fourteen USC over San Jose State uh, with with the reigning Heisman Trophy winner still calling the shots at on the USC offense and everything that's expected of this USC team this year. That'll stand through as one of the more uh, surprising halftime scores for me for quite some time. And this was not a San Jose State team a year ago 
that was known for its offense. It oftentimes struggled to score points in key contests and to put up 28 on USC in the first game. Again, uh, USC was never truly threatened, but it never had the breathing room that I think many of us expected it to have. Uh, Rich Rod and Dana Demmel had a battle of two guys and two kind of hard-nosed coaches. And I kind of assumed that game was going to go late. And I also assumed as I was watching the fourth quarter, Rich Rod's team just had more grit. And that's what happened at the end. Uh, Rough fourth down. uh, Rich Rod's guys come up with the interception. Although, anyway, it was an interesting game. It was a good game. Uh, Rich was pretty funny after the fact. Kind of going to the hard edge bar for a cold beverage. I enjoyed that. Uh, any other thoughts from that game or any others than any Hawaii? Uh, yeah, UTEP. I mean, they, they were talking during the broadcast about how UTEP is now the longest tenured Conference USA program, and to lose uh, your your opener to a brand new team that's playing FCS ball last year uh, is it seems like it's going to set a ceiling on, on the minor season this season, like quarterback play. Offensive play left a lot to be desired for UTEP. I think mine's more of a big picture take, not not necessarily isolated to Jacksonville State, but Jacksonville State is among those programs uh, like a James Madison that have um, made the jump up from FCS to FBS and continuing that transition. I'm really curious to see those programs based on how much we've seen college football as a whole completely earthquaked and shifted all over. Uh, what we knew is as little as 12 to 18 months ago. So I'm wondering um, if any of those programs that are transitioning upward are going to have any buyer's remorse. I'm wondering where they're going to fit in as we continue to see all this shake out. And so I think for some of those reasons, there's probably unfair pressure on some of these teams that are making these transitions a little too soon because college football is so unstable right now that they have to try and assert themselves as being a viable uh, FBS team sooner rather than later. Uh, the the other game that uh, I got a chance to watch when, when I got home was uh, UMass. So, so, let's shine a light on that one. Uh, Don Brown and uh, offensive coordinator Steve Casula there at UMass. They uh, took down the fighting Jerry Kills, the newly tattooed uh, Jerry Kills of New Mexico State. And uh, that, that, that was an interesting one at the end. It was close. And then um, UMass was able to kind of uh, a, a assert their will, I guess, there at the end to, to put one more touchdown in to, to pull away. Uh, but I think it was their first, their first opening game win against an F, FBS program since like the mid-80s or something like that, which is just uh, unbelievable. All right, we're going to pot again a couple of times this week. Uh, one bold prediction and kind of an outlook on week one games. But before I, I, I jump us off this one, we got to talk about Arizona State. Arizona come, comes, Arizona State comes out with a self-imposed bowl ban uh, because of what happened under Herm Edwards' watch. And it was well-documented when it was happening. Every coach in America was talking about it happening back then. Ray Anderson, you know, Herm's old agent, best friend, Hires Herm, brings him in. Everyone is saying, hey, you know they're cheating, right? You, you see they're cheating, right? You see what's happening there. They're cheating, right? And now they come out and they're going to impose a bull ban on this year's team. And it just feels horrible. Uh, I'm, I'm opening the floor to thoughts on that. 
I mean, if you're Kenny Dillingham, like this is his dream job. He's an Arizona State guy, but I don't know how you can't have serious questions about your your leadership there and their ability to support you and take the program to where you want to go. If like it, it makes no sense why they wouldn't impose this back in September, right after they fired Herm. I mean, even to start the 2022 season, but certainly after you fired Herm, you know, I, I was asking a question in our Slack channel before we went on the air. I was like, you can, you don't have to declare bowl ban uh, preseason, right? Because it just seems so obvious that they wouldn't do that. And, and so it, it points to malfeasance, incompetence, uh, choose your adjective on the part of Ray Anderson and Michael Crow. Um, you know, Ray Anderson has proved himself to be completely incompetent. Michael Crow uh, rode Larry Scott uh, down to the bitter end of the Pac-12. He's clearly clueless when it comes to athletics. So what sort of support are you going to get if you're Kenny Dillingham, if, if your own bosses are going to pull the rug out from under you, you know, on a Sunday of game week for your very first game as the head coach? You asked the, the great question in, in Slack, Zach, that I deliberately left unanswered because I wanted to dive into it on this pod and really hammer home this point. And you said, why didn't they announce this as soon as they fired Herm? And I very strongly believe it's because they were so myopic and so short-sighted that they thought they would lose too much of their field of candidates to make the move then and that it would be used too negatively against them. Instead, now all they've done, merely all they've done, is seemingly lose all trust in Kenny Dillingham, who I think is a brilliant young coach, and really cratered some positive momentum that that program has fostered because it's been really smart in the state. It's made some key hires from very well-respected people within the state of Arizona, and it's positioned itself uh, to get back on on solid footing with a chance to have a forward trajectory. Now that's all been wasted away, and you could tell by by how candidly Kenny Dillingham spoke in the interviews after that practice, after it was announced that Arizona State would be uh, automatic or voluntarily submitting to a, a postseason ban this year, he said, I found out at 630 this morning. That's clearly a guy taken by surprise. I, I don't under, I mean, presumably Kenny Dillingham and his agent discussed this with Arizona State, you know, before he was hired. I mean, everyone in Kenny knew about this. He was in Oregon. Uh, he knew about what was going on. He knew about it intimately. They have to have discussed this and laid out the plan. And for this just to get dropped on him feels feels very bad. If I'm a player, if I'm a senior in that locker room, I'm livid. If I'm a freshman, you know, you, this question was asked in the recruitment process. You couldn't have been expecting this, and you can't be happy about this. Where's the responsibility lie? Why, why is it not on, on Ray Anderson more than it is on the players? The players are the ones that are, are paying the price. And, you know, if we follow the same logic, uh, not not to bring the fit situation into it, but Pat Fitzgerald is fired for not knowing what he should have known. Uh, what, why is Ray Anderson not held to that same standard is, is my question. And instead, we've got We've got seniors and a new staff that have come in and worked their tail off, um, and, and, and now it's 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 their price to pay. It do, doesn't seem right. All, how about all the transfer portal kids that came in? You know, the, uh, how about how about all the kids that stuck through a transition and didn't leave? Yeah, Kenny Dillingham when he, when he was asked about it said that uh, basically nobody cares and that people 
our opponents are counting on this to submarine our season and for us to to mail it in and not try because we know the postseason is unattainable for us now. And so clearly he's concerned about that, about just the the human nature aspect of uh, the, the Sun Devils preemptively laying down on their season. And the, the silver lining here for me, for us, is that their Sun Devils win total uh, over under is four and a half. So hopefully, you know, in a way this won't even matter, but obviously within the locker room there, they're, 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 we're thinking until Sunday morning bowl game, you know, maybe we can surprise people play for a conference championship. Obviously that obviously that's not going to happen now. And maybe we'll look back in December and be like, well, it didn't matter anyway, but within the, within the walls of the, of the building, this is going to be something that they're not going to get over anytime soon. So they open up Southern Utah, uh, which is a game they should win. Mm-hmm. Then they got Oklahoma State, Fresno State, both at home. Very tough games. I'm going to say, in a in a unfortunate situation, if you lose both of those, then you got USC. Let's say you're let's say you're one and three after USC. I mean that team shuts down. I hate to, uh, and Kenny Kenny is a motivator, and a lot of those guys on the staff are great motivators. And they're, they're player guys, and they'll try and get the most out of them. But like, hey, you got injury risk. You got a bunch of things going on there. You got nothing to play for. Yeesh. Mm-hmm. It's it's a bad situation all around. And at, at the same time, if if the season is not going the way, why not wait until you hypothetically start one and three? I guess the the if you start three and one, you're not going to go out and do it then. But I mean, this is just the absolute. If you're going to do this at the same time, why not do it? You know, day one preseason camp. So it's straight up athletic director malpractice. There's nothing else we can say about this. Yeah. Good talk. Moving on, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Anybody want to throw in any last thoughts before we get out of here and uh, shift our focus to one bold prediction coming tomorrow and uh, week one stuff thereafter? No, Uh, it's the first full week is here. That's that's. All I want to say, and um, I was impressed by that, um, by Hawaii's resolve over the weekend. I'm going to do something uh, for the site today with uh, Timmy Chang showing his passion inside the Hawaii locker room. I thought that was pretty cool, even in a loss. I was not happy when I woke up Sunday and there wasn't football on TV. And so uh, I'm, I'm. when we wake up Sunday morning, we're going to realize that the best game of the weekend is still ahead of us. I was honestly a little disappointed when I was looking at the week one schedule and then carried to week two and there's no action on Tuesday. I'm a little disappointed <laughs> in the action, but action all year, all year long. Let's just play games on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, all year, all year long. Why don't we have this? It's 2023. Come on, people. All right. Football Scoop Podcast. Love uh, being on with you guys. Send us thoughts. Send us questions on uh, Twitter or X. I'm at football scoop. He's at Zach underscore Barnett, John D. Bryce one at coach Sam's love having everybody on. We'll be with you the rest of the week. Peace.